Welcome to the XEGS Cart by Cart podcast, the first and only podcast covering Atari's last answer to the 8-bit gaming system. In episode 10, we put on the gloves and get into the ring to go toe-to-toe with Accolade's boxing game, Fight Night. And although Revenge is sweet, will Jeff Minter's Revenge 2, a follow-up to Revenge of the Mutant Camels, be a tasty treat? Now here are this episode's hosts, Bill, Kieran, and Michael. So let's start off with a bit of general news for you. So Ben Heckendorn, a.k.a. Ben Heck, did his final project as part of his series on Element 14. This time, it's a portable Atari 800. Yay! Yay! (laughs) Using the internals of a Zex. Even better. Yay! Yay. (laughs) The final project... We've got the uh, two YouTube links. We'll stick them in the show notes because he split it into uh, two episodes. So um, it's uh, well worth a watch. I'm always amazed by the stuff Ben Heck does. Um, It's it's pretty damn incredible. And I know... uh, he was very keen to um, build a, an Atari 8-bit laptop, so it's good to kind of see his um, portable coming to fruition. Yeah, the fir- so, first time first time I met him was at um, uh, Classic Gaming Expo uh, when it was in oh, Las yeah. Vegas in 2001. And um, I think I was sitting there kind of lonely with a pair of links waiting for somebody to come walk up and play a game with me. And he, he walked up with a pair of his... Uh, 2600 portables which was the uh, the thing that he first created so yes, it was, I, it was I, I met him i met him right at the beginning wow <laughs> so, before he was famous yeah he, exactly yeah <laughs> and also making the rounds are a pair of detailed posts about a project to restore an atari 800 xl that's beyond restoring i saw this um i saw something about it on youtube as well i'm sure i did i think it was on retro man cave he was talking about it possibly um and it was absolutely battered Keys it looked like it got ran over everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was amazing. And I was just like, no, that's never going to work. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty incredible. So yeah, that, <laughs> that's cool. I'll be, I'll be looking at those links. I haven't looked at them myself yet, but I remember, I remember seeing stuff about it online. So yeah, color me intrigued as well. It's very <laughs> impressive. <laughs> so Michael, what, what what's your news this month? Well, I picked up a uh, a Blue Ice uh, microphone. Hopefully, the uh, the listeners can hear the difference. I was used to use a uh, gaming headset, which I think sounded pretty good, but uh, this should be a little bit better. And I finally was able to score not one but two Atari 800s with 48k and the box. Uh, unfortunately, one of them doesn't work, so I have another project to to uh, put on my list. Um, and of course, listeners probably remember me saying that my first computer was an Atari 800. So now I've got that back in the collection. Uh, system also came with a Qualipad and an 850 and a few carts and manuals, but no basic cartridge. So I might have to pick up that as well. Uh, one of the power supplies doesn't work. And with a little bit of troubleshooting with my multimeter and some help from the Atari community, I realized that it was a winding that broke. So, oh wow, yeah, I know it's, it, it was, uh, I, I basically just tested for resistance and I noticed the resistance was dif- different on the one that was working than the other one. So, but, um, it's going to be really hard to find a nine volt, uh, AC, uh, um, transformer that puts out 3.5 amps. It's just they don't make them anymore. So I think I'm just going to have to probably pick up another power supply. But that's not exactly their restoration way. So um, <laughs> I'm going to do my best to to restore the original one. And then you know if I can, I can't. So, but I picked these up from a local guy who actually I've met before, and his him and his wife were very nice to me when I went to his house. And he's a listener of the show. So and also a uh, member of Atari Age. So shout out to Matt Soft. 
also had a birth in the time we've last recorded, which has been about, what, eight months now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we all had birthdays. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, yeah. Let me see. <laughs> I've lost count. Yeah, I know. And, uh, <laughs> how many birthdays have we had? <laughs> Um, but I got myself another GoTech drive. My first one's going into my external floppy on my Atari ST, so I suspect the second one will go into my Falcon. But uh, the Flash floppy developer has been making so many uh, additions to the amount of systems they support that um, probably not going to be my last GoTech drive. I still don't have one. I you need don't? to get one. So oh, bad. yeah. No. I've been eyeing one up for so long now. Uh, I found a guy there. There's a guy on eBay um, who's actually in Poland, I think, if mm -hmm. I remember rightly. And he sells 1040 STFs with the Gotex and everything already fitted for under 100 quid. Oh, wow. Which is very tempting. I've been, yeah, eyeing one of those up for quite a while. Because my ST is an old 520 STFM. Yeah. Um, and the refurbed disk drive and all that it, it's not in the best of shape it's my original one that i had since i was a kid right so it's most it, it's sentimental so <laughs> i wouldn't want to hack that up because it's my original st so i think i'd get another one with the gotek in it and also my one's only 520 so it's only got 512k i want a one meg machine at least exactly so, yeah i've yeah. got 520 as well it's my original one it, it got actually fitted with two two megs and mm. i but it doesn't have the internal floppy so i have the external floppy so yeah, it's a good way to start internal. And in, mm. in fact, it, it fits right in the um, it fits right in there, and I'm going to put the USB where the but the eject button is. So it's it <laughs> yeah, and some LEDs for it and everything like that. You know the little, or sorry L, uh, OLED mm. dis displays. So I'm put that in there as well. So that's what these ones on eBay have got the little displays on the side and the USB where the eject switch. They look really really good. They're they really do. professional jobs. Yeah. yeah. Well, cool. That's yeah. You should pick that up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I'm very tempted. I also picked up a Asteroids arcade shirt. Well, excuse me, I got that for my birthday. And um, the book Assembly Lines, which is a book covering the 6502 assembly for the Apple II computer line. Ooh, I mean... <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> <laughs> it's Assembly Language for 6502. How's that? <laughs> yeah, that's all right. There yeah, we go. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to teach you how to how to how to hack the antic or the uh, GTIA. Huh? That is that is very true. <laughs> <laughs> but that's all uh, that's happened uh, in the, in that period of time. What about you, Kieran? Oh, loads as usual. Right. Uh, <laughs> so you remember uh, last episode I mentioned a budget game book that I was working on mm -hmm. that was pretty much about to come out. So that is up now. It's you can go and back it now over at unbound.com. Oh. I'll put I'll put a link in the show notes so you can all go and back that like as soon as you listen to this. Um so yeah, if you if you grew up playing budget games in the UK like I did, or you just want to know more about them, uh for the the, the people on the other side of the ocean, etc. Um it's got tons of game reviews in it. Um obviously loads to the Atari 8 bit and other systems as well. The Spectrum's in there, Commodore 64, Amstrad MSX, and BBC Micro. So a really good range of systems. It's going to have uh, system overviews. There's, I've got some really good developer interviews, including some Atari guys in there. Um, special guests uh, like Kim Justice, Ashens, Guru Larry, Slopes Game Room, British IBM, Nostalgia Nerd. I've got absolutely loads of people oh, wow. doing little little guest articles for it. So um, there's some, going to be some really cool stuff going in there. So, yeah, um, please, please go and back it because I need um, all the help I can get to uh, get it off the ground. So, uh, yeah, and 
from one book to another book because you remember again last episode i spoke about my uh my one of my digital books the a to z of atari 8-bit games volume 2 and um you'll be pleased to hear that volume 3 is now done as well that should be up on um, amazon and kindle store as this episode goes out pretty much actually i would have thought um how many how many volumes do you plan three (laughs) oh you're done okay i might go i might go and do more but Mm. once i get to three i think i said on the last episode that's when i turn it into a print book oh that's right that's right yeah three three volumes will make makes the print book so to get to the right kind of size and stuff so that's i've gone to volume three now on atari 8 bit so that will be going into a print book now at some point um then i might go back and do three as easily enough games to do another three volumes and do a second print book so that'll probably be the way i'll go wow. but yeah as usual i'll drop i've dropped the uh the links into the show notes uh of where you can get all my digital books i've got absolutely loads of them now so and there's loads um waiting to be um waiting to be uploaded at the moment i've got quite a few in the queue with the publishers so they're a little bit behind on getting them up but uh yeah i've even done a commodore 64 book boo <laughs> you'd be built to it <laughs> I, I never thought it would happen but yeah i, I was i was muted damn it <laughs> <laughs> so as as uh, as you know i also been busy with retro gamer as i always am doing stuff for them as well so I got my second cover, which was really, really pleasing. So it's quite hard um, for freelancers to get the cover. So um, I was pleased to get my second one, and I did an ultimate guide to Pac-Mania in issue 179. So not Atari 8-bit related, but the Atari ST version's in there, so that's good enough. Um, Atari 8-bit fans will love my History of Real Sports piece that I did in issue 183 which includes a full rundown of each real sports title, along with interviews with all the programmers and comparisons between the 2600 and in television sports games. So that was a fun little thing to do. You know, the whole George Plimpton thing that you had Mm -hmm. in the US. So I did my kind of little uh, giving the scores, pitting them off against each other. So I put that in the article as well. But there's a, there's, you know, I had like uh, Keith in Hyanga who did, uh, you know, he did the 5200 Port Tempest as well. So I've got him in the interview, Bob Polaro, um, uh, trying to think loads, loads of people. I managed to get loads of interviews for that one. So it was, it was uh, pretty, pretty packed. Um, and a lot of some really good stories about, um, uh, you know, what, ha- what Atari expected them to be able to pack into a sports game and not realizing that the technology was uh, not up to, to what they wanted. Uh, there's a great little anecdote about them shouting at them for having a square ball in real sports volleyball. It's really good. Uh, I really enjoyed some of the interviews for that article. So that's really good. Um, and last but not least was an article I did that I'm really, really proud of. It's probably one of my favorite articles that I've written that looks into the shady world of unlicensed Atari 8-bit games in Eastern Europe. And I managed to get loads of interviews with the Polish guys as well and Czech guy as well. Kaz, who's well known in the scene, he did one of the interviews and I got um, an interview with the guy who did um, op- the Operation Blood games, and he did some other stuff as well. So, so, so uh, that, that, that's what makes them unlicensed. They're using somebody else's IP, in other words? Basically, like, yes. Like so a movie or something? Like, yeah, you've got stuff like uh, Jurassic Park, Terminator, Predator, um, the Flintstones. These were all games that came out in in uh, in Poland. Indiana I Jones is like I, four different Indiana Jones games. I always wondered about those. Okay, unlicensed, that makes way more sense. It just seems yeah. like such a bizarre... 
thing to have come out like in the early 90s like where is this coming from yeah all these movie licenses and and the arcade ports you know operation blood was operation Mm. wolf and the same guy did uh bank bang which was bank panic and there was loads like that you know there was actually a port of barbarian as well that was completely unlicensed (laughs) and stuff like that so it goes covers all of that and and it goes a lot into how the atari 8-bit scene developed in eastern europe and why the Atari 8-bit was so huge there as well. What, how, you know, how it kind of took the market there and how different their market was to the rest of Europe and stuff like that. It was, um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed researching that one and writing it because it was a subject that had just never been covered before. You know, it was all totally new information to me, and you know, the feedback's been really good on it as well. A lot of people have said, you know, it was an article they totally didn't expect to see in the magazine which I think is always nice when you get something like that. So that was in issue 184. It was called Unlicensed to Thrill because they do a regular series in the magazine called Licensed to Thrill, which looks at, you know, movie games, you know, the official ones. So this was Unlicensed to Thrill. (laughs) So again, I've dropped a link in the show notes of where you can get um, uh, Retro Gamer Back back issues for those who might have missed it. So you can pick up the digital issues and you can pick up the, the, you know, the print copies as well. So, um, Yeah. So let's mention some new games that have been released recently, because that's always good. Uh, so we've got first up, um, this is this is only in the last few days this has been released. Well, last few days, I say that as we're recording it. It's probably going to be a lot, a lot, long way out when uh, this <laughs> episode actually goes up. <laughs> but Cullman's is a fun new puzzle game that actually started development back in 2006, um, but has recently been resurrected by the author Guillermo Funzalada. I might have pronounced that wrong. Probably Guillermo. The leader. Yeah. Guillermo. That, that's my name in Spanish. So Guillermo. Guillermo. Yeah. Funza leader. Yeah. I, I speak a bit of Spanish as well, so I'm much better with that, really. But um, yes. So it's well worth trying out. I, I had a little go of it, and it, um, I, it was quite good fun. It's a kind of, it's a kind of uh, strategy kind of puzzle. So I think like chips challengey kind of that kind of puzzle game, you know, or soccer band. It's a bit like that. Um, Black Bouncy Blob by seasoned Atari 8-bit programmer Matasimi is one of the first entries in this year's ABBUC contest, which always produces some good stuff. And it's a really interesting mix between a rhythm game and a traditional platformer. It doesn't look like much, but if you watch the video on YouTube, um, you quickly see that it looks like quite a fun game. And again, I tried it out, and I thought it was very good fun. So Get Up 2 is the latest game from Thomas Schultz who previously bought us the excellent Atari 8-bit version of Demo's Quest. I don't know if you played that, but it was, it was oh, yeah. very good indeed. Yeah, very he, good. Did the, he, he did the original on the Amiga back in the day as a, as a um, commercial product, right? And yeah, then he came out on Amiga and Philips CDI, strangely, was the other yeah. system. So, yeah, I, and then, I, and then I, yeah, and then it, he, he, did, he did the D-Make. So basically he, he, yes. he said, I, I want to try to make the same game on this smaller yeah. machine. So I and, didn't uh, even know it was on the Amiga. I only knew it from the CDI, funnily enough. Huh. Um, strangely, because I've got a CDI, and it's one of, probably one of my favorite games on CDI. Very like Chips Challenge, D-Make. Exactly, very, yeah. Very yeah. similar. But Get Up 2 is a kind of uh, avoid em up style game you have to go up the screen and you're dodging stuff constantly it's really nice really good fun um really good kind of high score game um i think it was originally going to be an, uh, an entry in abbc but now it's not so um yeah it's worth trying out though uh and there's also a new hack of the parker brothers classic arcade adventure montezuma's revenge and that's just been released and that's uh basically it's 
they've added loads of new levels to the game. She's got all the original levels plus a load of new ones. So where I think the old original cartridge version, I think it was like 8K or something. So he's whacked it up to like, a, you know, a, I think it's a 48K game or something now. So there's tons of, tons of extra levels in there. But you need to have a lot of patience because it's really bloody hard. I couldn't get very far <laughs> in it at all. I tried it out. Really difficult game. Well, the original um, one wasn't a slouch either. I mean, I remember exactly. playing that and I'd, I'd jump <laughs> over guys and die all the time. I'm like, Rah! Yeah, yeah, it's quite rage-inducing, but um, <laughs> still cool to see lots of you know lots of new levels and stuff. So then we have uh, next up, we have uh, another conversion of a Commodore 64 game, which seems to be all the rage at the moment. We've had a few Commodore 16 ports on the uh, Atari 8-bit, and this one's called Baby Burks. It's a really obscure game. I'd never even heard of it. Um, it plays a little bit like Berserk. It's probably the best way I can describe it. But um, it's actually a lot of fun. The game looks really simple. The graphics are like really basic and stuff. But it's actually incredibly good fun to play. So um, it's well worth a try. Uh, but probably the biggest homebrew release of all um, for this episode is uh, an excellent new conversion of the Konami arcade game Scramble. I don't know if you guys have seen this. But it started off as a Atari 5200 game. But Homesoft got the game converted to run on the Atari 8-bit. And uh, I really recommend checking it out because it's, it's easily one of the best versions of the uh, coin-op I've come across. I think it's it's better than the uh, the 7800 homebrew, for example, that Bob De Crescendo did because this one's got some really awesome smooth scrolling, loads of colours, excellent, obviously, pokey sound effects. It's, it's really good. It is incredibly close to the arcade game. Um, really recommend uh, trying that one out. It's one of the best sort of uh, Atari 8-hit 8-bit homebrews you know of the last you know year or so and there's been some really good ones so yeah so what do you do they link, do they link the bombs and the and the shots uh the what do we call them lasers at the same time then with the one button yes correct okay. yeah there was talk i, I know i don't know if they've, they've done different versions but i know when uh i first saw it there was talk of them having a version where you could use space bar as well but I'm not sure if they actually did it, did that or not. Because obviously, on the 5200 version, you could use separate buttons. But um, but yeah, as always, if you want to keep up to date on the latest homebrew releases, make sure you're following the Homebrew Heroes page on Facebook. I'll drop a link in the show notes, as always. So just so you don't all feel left out, I picked up some bits and pieces for myself as well, and uh, <laughs> including some new Atari-related T-shirts. So I got um, I went to the um, Play London event. Uh, last month and i grabbed a centipede t-shirt it's got the arcade art on it uh asteroids and gauntlet i'm wearing the gauntlet one right now actually as we're doing this podcast and it's got the arcade art on it and it's very nice indeed and uh i don't know if you guys saw these but there's they um but there was a company called merchoid and they were advertising an atari 2600 woody styled hoodie Mm -hmm. so woody hoodie (laughs) <laughs> and um i didn't know that my wife I, I loved it i was proper in love with it but they were quite expensive but my wife had bought me one for my birthday back in may but it arrived like about two months late because there was such a backlog of orders <laughs> apparently for them and uh yeah i thought it was amazing i mean i say it wasn't cheap but the quality of them was is incredible and you know that they got the style so perfect you couldn't imagine how they could you know make it so close to the style and looks of you know the the, the 2600 woody it's uh, got the yeah. it's got the vents it's got yeah. the vents oh, everything it. they're amazing <laughs> they're so good honestly I, I mean i mean proper in love with it i'm actually 
almost looking forward to the cold weather coming so I can wear it more, you know, because it's been <laughs> stinking hot summer. We've had such an amazing summer here this year. So, um, yeah, but I, I, you can actually, they were pre-order originally, but now you can actually buy them just straight from the store. And you can buy them in the US and in the UK. So there's, there's, they've got a store on both sides. But again, I'll drop the, the link in the show notes because I think uh, if you haven't seen them, at least go and have a look because they look incredible. They're really good. So, Bill, over to you. All right. Um, one thing that I probably should have added to general news because it only just occurred to me, I wanted to give a shout out to a. Uh, Rob McMullen of the um, Player Missile Podcast. He's been uh, not doing his podcast lately. He's been very busy working on um, Omnivore, um, kind of a debugging tool. And he's apparently recently got it integrated with um, the open source Atari 800 emulator, um, which is a multi-platform like Linux and Windows and so forth, um, acting as both a debugger and as a time machine. So he had a little video that he posted where... um, it was playing a uh, uh, Jumpman, and Jumpman got shot by one of those little bullets that fi- flies down from the top, and then he just rewinded it back to before you died, and then can continue from there. Oh, so, wow. pretty cool <laughs> stuff. That's that's you know that's the kind of thing that you know I've seen some of the uh, Commodore emulators and all the really high tech debugging features that they have, and I've been kind of jealous. Like, oh, we need that because yeah. that'll make it easy to make so much better stuff. So. Um, but beyond that, not too much Atari news from me. I've been mostly busy continuing the redo of our front yards landscaping and getting the kids ready for school starting next week and that. Um, I did finally swing by Michael's place. Hi, yep. Michael. Hey. Yeah, I, I live like 45 minutes away and it only took me about a year to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you had to get into Ikea, so... <laughs> We had to go to Ikea, and you're like, you know, 15-minute detour yeah. on the way home from Ikea, yeah, yeah so... <laughs> um, I did finally snag the awesome pixelated uh, rainbow Fuji shirt, and I'm wearing it right now, as uh, my cool. co-hosts can see. Mm. Um, I kept seeing people posting it on uh, various Facebook groups, like Atari Age. Um, I'm pretty sure this is actually based, like if you look at the pixels of the shirt, it's based on the um, the rotating rainbow Fuji um, demo, a.k.a. swan demo. It's got a little swan that flies by as the Fuji spins around. Mm-hmm. Um, that came out back when the uh, 65XE and 130XE were put into production. So it was the uh, power without the price demo. So it was at Walmart for about $8. But by the time I actually checked the local one, they were sold out. And I asked and they said, they're probably not getting any more of the junk in that shelf in because it was going to be back to school soon. So I said, wow. drat. And I think, Michael, wasn't it you that found yep. the website that had it? Yeah, you found a website that had it. And I, I was trying to plug in, like, I want to buy this thing. I want to mm-hmm. set the size. Like, how do I set the size? I finally emailed them and I said, your website's broken. And they said, well, that shirt's not in, in stock anymore, and you should clear your browser history and reset your fret, your cache and stuff. I'm like, I'm literally clicking a link. Like, do you not understand how the web works? So, um, so finally, like doing a little Google image searching, I found it somewhere else because this is a this is a licensed um, Atari T-shirt. As much as a lot of us don't like the new Atari company, at least they, they licensed this beautiful shirt with this old Tremil era graphic on it. Um, so they're good at merch. They're good at merch. Yeah. Um, It'll go with my speaker hat. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I I, I will advertise these guys here. I found it at Blue Culture Tees and snagged it. Um, It's $20 US, so it came out to about three times as much as I could have walked away from Walmart. (laughs) (laughs) So about $25. But we'll have a link in the uh, the show notes for for where you can get that while they still have it in stock, hopefully. Um, And then in totally unrelated news, uh, this weekend my volunteer buddies around the world and I are – putting together a new release of Tux Paint, which is my um, children's drawing program that I released as a open source way back in 2002 and have been kind of slowly maintaining it for the past 16 years. Oh. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> so uh, this latest version, um, um, we got a uh, Windows, um, Mac OS, and Linux builds, and kind of the big news in this one is it works on Mac again. Not that anything in the program change. It's just every time Apple comes out with a new version of the OS, everything breaks. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And, you know, ever since poor old Steve Jobs died, like, their uh, their software stuff's kind of gone downhill, yeah. I have to say. And I don't even own a Mac. I just have to struggle with all these teachers and stuff saying, it doesn't work anymore. And I go, I don't know. Like, it worked last month, didn't it? Like, what did you do? Well, I upgraded. Well, maybe you didn't, shouldn't upgrade anymore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so Michael, we got some addenda and arata. We do, yes. Uh, I I made a mistake. <laughs> so um, for some of the listeners, they probably heard our, our bumpers. Uh, we got a couple new bumpers that I put out, and I sent it out to all the podcasts and, and pleaded with them to put it on their show, which some have. And originally, I thought it was uh, the first to do it was Into the Vertical Blank. I was mistaken. It was actually the 2600 Game by Game podcast. So... I wanted to apologize profusely that I made that mistake. Actually, there's other, a few other podcasts that beat uh, into the vertical blank. So, but they're all within the month. So, you know, I appreciate it uh, very much. And uh, getting the, our, uh, our little show out to a larger audience would be very helpful. Hey, you know what? Um, uh, I don't think, I don't think that podcast existed last time we did an episode, did it? I don't rem- I don't know. I thought it did, but so so, so it's it's uh, I'll stick a link in the show notes. So okay. it's a new um it's a new podcast uh from so called Eight Bit Rocket and that's uh we Jeff did mention Fulton. it. Oh we did? Yeah, definitely. Okay. So I remember we did um we mentioned that and we mentioned the handy cost at the same time. Ah, okay, so okay. Well, so we'll mention it again anyway because it's brilliant. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what so then there's the other one, which is the um the XLE XLXE podcast from a pair of friends uh from New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um and they're going through basically talking about what it was like being a kid, um, especially an Atari user back then, you know, where where they what shops they went to and that kind of stuff and, and reviewing games. And that one's a lot of fun to listen to. I, I've I've really got to ca- uh, catch up on my Podcast listening. Um, oh, I'm not aware of that one. I love to. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. That's my long list of ones that I haven't listened to. Yeah, that one's that one's great as well. So that's uh, <laughs> on Twitter. They're just XLXE podcast, all one word. Mm. So I will stick a link to that in there as well. So. All right. And on to our first game review, Fight Night. Uh, Fight Night was published by Atari Corporation. Um, it initially came out from uh, Accolade in 1985. And in the U.S. I'm sorry, in the U.K. came out under uh, U.S. Gold. Um, and then the 1987 uh, release was the uh, cartridge version for the XEs. Model number uh, for that is RX8079, and as you might have guessed, this is a fighting sports game. Um, so the developers, uh, hopefully I've got this all straight, um, the concept was by Sydney Development. The Atari version was by Distinctive Software. Um, the programmer there was uh, Omari Wong of Ace of Aces fame. Sound of Music was by Gail Ber- Bergen or Bergen. Graphics were by Ron Panthecki. Panthecki? Um, XCGS cartridge port of the disc version was by Sculpture Software, who we've talked about before. And then credited on Atari Mania, but not actually in the game's on-screen credits, uh, it was Chuck Peavy of Dark Chambers and One-on-One fame, as well as many other things. Uh, from the back of the XCGS box... Fight night is total action. From the opening bell to the final knockdown, you're in the ring, calling on your skills and instincts to survive. The championship finals takes brains as well as brawn. You're about to face five of the most fearless, brutal fighters ever to step into the ring. 
It's five separate battles that are total war. If you can't think on your feet, don't even pick up your joystick. The action is relentless. The boxing construction set is imagination at its very best. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we'll, get it, we'll get into that later. Um, I mean, I grew up with pinball construction set, and it's a completely different kind of uh, experience. Um, anyway. <laughs> You and your opponent are able to create your own perfect boxers. You can select all the elements you want your boxer to have, such as speed, stamina, and intellect, and style, and also one of six colors of shorts. Um, then it's time to train, spar, and finally put him to the test. It's a fight to the finish between your perfect fighter and the computer, or anyone else. Else, else, else. Uh, for one or two players, a disk drive optional. Uh, that's used for saving up to 18 custom designed boxers per disk. Uh, keyboard, also optional, and you can use it to input character names. Uh, you can just use the joystick up, down, left, right for doing that as well. Um, so this game has a number of modes. Uh, the interface is a little unique for the Atari in that it uses a, um, especially for a game, it uses a uh, pull down menu interface like you would have had on the. Uh, original Mac, like a year before, back in 1984. Um, ST. Or ST, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, yeah, I think I think the first one that everyone noticed was the uh, the Mac. Sorry, ST people. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so you control it with the joystick. Um, from that menu, uh, from the main menu, you can uh, go to main event, where you fight against each of the five built-in contenders, one after the other. Um, box construction, where you can create your own human or con- computer-controlled boxers. Uh, training, where you train your boxer in punching, footwork, and timing using the joystick. Choose a character. Choose whether to follow or lead. Only available with your own human-controlled characters. Uh, set the speed, and the boxer will begin working at a heavy bag, a.k.a. a punching bag. Um, so I, I didn't really quite understand the follow and lead part. Uh, Michael or Kieran, do you, do you have any way of clarifying exactly yeah. what this did? Because I, I didn't quite get it, and the, the instruction manual was a little bit vague. So follow is essentially you uh, you follow the, the joystick positions so you get used to certain boxing combinations, and then lead is to practice getting perfecting those moves so it's kind of like you're you're uh you're following a trainer and says you know you know uppercut blow you know punch the gut block that sort of thing and these are just combinations that you get familiar with of using i i button mash so (laughs) (laughs) yes i'm i'm definitely a button masher when it comes to any kind of fighting game so so yeah at at the top of the screen there's um uh two sets of basically what um what the joystick controls do one with fire button up one with fire button down. And, and I guess it's, uh, in the follow it's, it's instructing you what to do. So, um, all right. Uh, then under sparring, the fighters practice what they've learned in training. So they basically kind of auto play, um, using what you've plugged in, I guess. Um, and then there's tournament mode, uh, where you take on the role of promoters, lining up your best boxers to fight each other's stars in round robin order. Um, so when you select this option, a tournament bracket diagram appears. So it's kind of a, a tree shape with three tiers. Um, at the top, you plug in the four fighters for the two, first two fights, you know, uh, A versus B and C versus D. Um, and then two more fighters for the second round of fights. So whoever wins in A versus B is going to go up against one person. And then whoever wins in C versus D goes up another, against another person. And then the third tier is going to be the final fight. Uh, and that is uh, going to obviously be between the winners of the, uh, the two second tier fights. So at the end, a medal appears declaring the tournament winner, and the game returns to the title screen. So, so gameplay. Uh, there are different rooms depending on whether the fire button is pressed or released. Uh, so with fire down, so holding the fire button, uh, up jabs, down body blows, left fakes a jab, and right fakes a body blow. And then with fire up, 
um, up and down, put up your guard or put your guard down. And left and right, just uh, you know, do a, little, do a little footwork and move left and right. Um, the Accolade version's manual also discusses, discusses uh, the timing of moves uh, in a bit of detail. So you might want to look at that um, if you try out this game, as, as well as the uh, XEGS manual, which is considerably shorter. Um, so they describe it as having multiple pulses. So in pulse one, you input your move. So for example, fire button plus up to do a jab. In pulse two, your boxer does his wind up. In pulse three, he throws the jab. And then in pulse four, he does a follow through. So then they said with fakes, you can hold the wind up for as long as you want and then make a real jab or body blow. And, and that actually seems to be kind of effective to, to fake out your opponent. Um, and then with the fire button down moves, you have to wait until after the follow through before you can make another button down move. However, you can make a button up move right away. So for example, you can punch and then step back and you don't have to wait for the follow through to do that. Um, and then there are other controls. Uh, I'm not going to mention the the Accolade disc versions. Um, they seem to still be active in there. Um, but uh, on the XGS, uh, so if you don't have a keyboard, you're just going to have your console keys. Start uh, returns to the beginning screen to choose another event. Uh, select can be used to pause and unpause. And then option can turn music on and off. The contenders. So um, the Accolade versions manual has some silly backstory for the characters. Uh, as well as some tips for fighting them. The XCGS manual only has kind of a simple grid listing their uh, names, strengths, and weaknesses, along with a little artwork they had for them. Each of the characters have their own super blow special move when controlled by the computer. And then here they are by their rank, uh, lowest to highest, being the champion. Uh, number four is Dipstick, as a skinny little fellow with glasses. Uh, they describe him, his strength as light on his feet, and they say to watch for his sucker punch. And his weakness is he's light in the head. So get him on the ropes. <laughs> um, number three is uh, Kid Castro. Uh, take a guess as to what this guy looks like. He's got a beard, a cigar, and a big Castro army hat that kind of pops up and down. He also looks a little bit like Bluto from uh, Popeye. And he kind of reminded me of somebody else, and I can't remember who it was when I was playing. Um, but yeah, very, very uh, big bearded teeth teeth gritting with a cigar sticking out character. Um, strength is he throws lots of punches, and uh, weaknesses is that his punches lack pop. And they say to work on his cigar, and I suppose by the what they mean by that is uh, give him a lot of jabs to the face. <laughs> um, number two is uh, who him? <laughs> who's a uh, Asian, I'm going to guess, Chinese character. Um, he's got a Q hairstyle. It's, uh, basically, he's bald with a little top knot in the back, uh, and a horseshoe mustache, which is a little bit Fu Manchu going here. Um, uh, they describe his strength as cement head and vicious super blow. His weakness is backs away from body blows. And then um, they explicitly listed a tip in the accolade manual. It says, um, fakes confuse him. Fake, then step into a punch when he steps back. Uh, number one is British Bulldog. He's a fellow wearing a bowler hat and a handlebar mustache. I say... Um, oh, sorry, Kieran. <laughs> <laughs> Kieran, do you find this offensive? Because um, I find... I find I this all quite offensive. <laughs> the, the, this is um, a, a perfect example of the days when nobody cared about racial stereotypes. No, 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 not at all. No, 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 not no. It's the opposite. Let's use all of them as yes, characters. Yes. yes. All right. A a game from the eighties. Yes. Um, he, dr he drinks tea and eats scones bef between each round. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, the Bronx boxer has um, he's he's uh, he's like a Nobel laureate or something. Is uh, they they have a very interesting description of uh, like an anti anti what you'd expect description of him in the accolade. Right. And you'll go go read that. <laughs> anyway, um, 
His strength is he's a heavy puncher, and his weakness is he's thick as a brick, and the tip is uh, vulnerable to quick jabs and feints. Keep moving, tire him out, use fakes. And then finally, the champ is the Bronx, Bronx Bomber, uh, a large, hairy-chested guy. <laughs> and uh, very useful here, they describe his strength as everything and his weakness as none. <laughs> <laughs> so... um Scoring in the game. So, uh, very vague. From the XEGS manual, it basically says, when you score points and how many points you score, depending on the boxer you're fighting. Oh, that helps. Um, <laughs> like, shoot the aliens. They're all worth different points. The end. Um, <laughs> each boxer has a different point value for each punch, uh, jab, body blow, or super blow, and a res- resistance value for each blow. Uh, your, <clears throat> your boxer's guard position determines the degree of damage uh, if his guard is up when his contender lands a jab or down when he lands a body blow the amount of damage caused by a punch is zero so basically you're defended um, or they're defended you can win extra points by stepping into a punch and fewer points for stepping out of a punch so uh, if you're being a little bit more aggressive you gain some more points so so in the uh, boxing construction set uh, you've got some menus uh, at the top edit and under edit, you've got new for creating a new boxer. Load to load a character. Uh, you use left and right to pick them from a little window on the right. Um, save to save changes. Revert to abort your changes and basically reload the character. So if you load a character and you mess with them and you decide you don't like that, you can just uh, revert. Um, and then delete, which deletes the current character. I believe it doesn't ask. It just does it. <laughs> um, and then if you um, booted this cartridge. So, so th- uh, this is basically what you have on the Accolade version, the disc version. Um, the cartridge version, you don't need a disk drive. But if you have a disk drive attached, it detects that. Um, and then under this menu, a couple of op- uh, additional options appear. Um, they're not well documented at all. I had to toy with them to figure out exactly what they did. They, they basically didn't mention it at all in the manual. Uh, so there's deload, D for disk, I assume, um, which loads a set of characters from disk. And then you go up and you use load to pick one of the batch that you loaded off of a floppy. Uh, D save, which saves all of the characters that you have in memory onto disk. And then you, uh, I guess you'll need to deload them again Um next time you play the game, next time you boot up, and then format, which formats a disk. So I, I played with this under the emulator, and I basically looked at the um, the disk image. Uh, it, I tried booting into um, MyDOS, and I, uh, I'm trying to remember if I had difficulty with that working properly, but I, uh, I, I basically said, you know, Atari DOS 2.5 is probably going to be the one that everyone had back then by, by default. So I, um, I booted into that. I don't know that it actually loaded DOS. I think it just realized there was a disk drive and then talked to it basically raw. Um, within this menu. Uh, and if you look at the, um, the quote, formatted disk, it's basically a 000 sector-free empty disk directory. So it's its, its own format. It's not like it's, it's saving files that you can go access outside of the, uh, the game itself. Um, so moving on, um, parts. This lets you choose uh, from six of each of the following body parts. Head, body, um, so including arms, uh, Shorts, and that's basically, they're all the same. They're just different colors. And feet, which obviously also includes legs. Uh, then you need to choose the um, statistics for your characters. And it's basically how you divide um, 100 units of power between different character statistics. And by default, each of these uh, are set 50-50, but you can go all the way down to like 0 and 100 or, or 100 and 0. Um, so there's power, uh, which uh, divides the power between a, a blow to the head versus a blow to the body. Uh, resistance which um, lets you set the resistance to blows to head versus blows to body. And then um, if you're creating a computer-controlled character, you can set uh, action, and that's uh, time spent on offense versus defense, and then intelligence, which is brains versus action. And I don't know exactly what that is. I think that might be um, 
you know, aggressiveness versus uh, the ability to, to notice fake outs and so forth, just based on the, the contender descriptions that they gave. And then uh, under other, you can set the name and you can either use a keyboard or a joystick uh, to enter two lines of seven characters each. So I guess if you want to do like first name, last name or something or um, and then control. So that lets you toggle between either human control or computer control for that boxer. And then exit returns back to the title screen. Uh, so I got a little bit of trivia that I collected here. The XCGS manual is eight pages long, and the disc version uh, from Accolade is 16 pages, and four and a half pages of that is uh, some boxing trivia, which I, I didn't bother reading because I don't really care much about uh, boxing, but they apparently had a, a lot of paper to waste. Um, so uh, we'll have links to both the um, Accolade version and XCGS version over on Atari Mania, where you can uh, download or or view the manuals. Um, I'll give you a warning. The SCGS one is a super high resolution PDF scan that takes way too long to download. <laughs> um, and then the uh, accolade version, you just read in like JPEG form or whatever, right on, on the Atari Mania website. Uh, the title screen, you guys correct me if I'm wrong, appears to have cartoon versions of President Ronald Reagan and Nancy Reagan being photographed by paparazzi while, <laughs> while walking towards a limo. Uh, and in the background, you'll notice... In the Atari version, it seems to be Pope John Paul II, or at least somebody with a big bishop's hat. Uh, an Eskimo, and uh, I will note here that that's the English term for the various indigenous peoples who have traditionally inhabited northern circumpolar region from eastern Siberia, Alaska, Canada, and Greenland. Um, so Inuits and, and others, uh, but they all get lumped in <laughs> as Eskimo. Um, and then for some reason... the. I don't know if I'm more offen offended uh, <laughs> by these characters or the fact that next to the Eskimo is a penguin. And remember, folks, penguins live on the southern hemisphere. <sighs> well, but so then you're, you're assuming they're together. <laughs> oh, I didn't, I didn't think I of that. Mean, they just, they yeah, just, they just threw a penguin in. I mean, you know, just, just I mean, a boxing go. kangaroo, you know, <laughs> maybe he's with the penguin. Maybe they hang out yeah. in the zoo or something. You know, you don't and, know. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe he came with a kangaroo from Australia. That's you didn't true, question the fact that there is a penguin at a boxing match. <laughs> <laughs> I'm questioning everything about this game. Um, and then there's somebody wearing a a doli uh, a hat, um, also known as a coolie hat, and it's very hard to make out what that person is. But my joke here is uh, perhaps it's Raiden from Mortal Kombat. Ah, get some of my tips. Yeah. <laughs> um, that would make it more interesting. Raiden wins. <laughs> So, so I did some math. With the six choices for each body part, there are nearly 1,300 character graphics combinations you can have. Um, six times six times six times six. Uh, if you discount the shorts, which are all the same shape, they just have different colors, it's uh, 216 unique characters you can create. And then the four statistics allow for 100 million computer-controlled variations, or for the two statistics for the human-controlled, uh, you have, quote, merely uh, 10,000 <laughs> variations of, you know, power versus what have you. Um, and then if you look at the, uh, the cart version, um, like a ROM dump of the game, uh, it's a 128K cart. Uh, and that makes sense because this version came as a double-sided uh, single-density floppy, so it's 90K per side. Um, and presumably some of, some of the storage on side two is for the the boxing characters. Yeah, saving characters. Mm. So you were talking about um, the the picture of uh, uh, Ronald and Nancy Reagan. Mm -hmm. So I looked at the Commodore 64 version of the screen, and it looks like, well, first of all, it looks like Reagan and Nancy are getting into limousine, which wouldn't make any sense because everybody's going into the the boxing match. Why were they leaving? But if That's you look at this, yeah, 
I noticed that. I'm like, what are they getting? But I think if you look at 64 version, he's actually Reagan's and uh, Nancy and, and Ronald are posing for the paparazzi. So they're getting out. And he's holding the door open for her. But if you look at the Comedy 64 version, Nancy Reagan looks like Margaret Thatcher. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm, look, I'm looking at, oh, my God, you're right. That, that's totally Margaret Thatcher. And, <laughs> and thought, yeah, they're coming out. I don't understand. I thought it was, I thought it was Maggie and Ron. That was my thought. As soon as I saw it, I thought that's Mackie Thatcher and Ronald Reagan. Yeah. Okay. Well, that that makes sense. But you know, what colors are what colors the her dress? Is it red? In the Atari version, like the whole screen's purple in this screenshot. Okay. Like, so... Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. What a weird game. I will say that the 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 cover for um for the disc version and and they also used it for the uh, XE version is basically a, a boxing glove smashing through a white background so it's it's white with fight night at the top from accolade at the bottom and then a boxing glove coming through that's a pretty cool style i, I like that but everything else about the game is extremely light-hearted and silly uh to the point of being offensive <laughs> to to the modern woke person yeah um so let's see, legacy-wise, um, it looked like the original version came out for the Apple II uh, in 85, and then the Atari and Commodore versions on both disc and cassette came out in 1986. And then there was an Atari 7800 version in 1988, which uh, I, if I had, I don't have it anymore. Um, I don't remember it at all. Um, it's terrible. Have, okay. I'll have a link uh, in the show notes to um, the giant, giant bomb website entry for Fight Night, which has tons and tons and tons and tons of screenshots for um, all of the different versions. Um, so, uh, reviews and reviews of other ports. So the 7800 game by game podcast, episode 20, which was uh, re-released as episode, uh, classic episode 20, uh, last December, um, covered both Mario brothers and fight night for the uh, 7800 classic gaming quarterly magazine has an interview with, uh, Amory Wong. And uh, Antic Podcast, interview episode number four, uh, sorry, 14, talks with uh, Chuck Peavy, who had a little bit involved uh, in this. So um, where to buy this game? Um, I went to uh, BNC Computer Visions, myatari.com, and their price list is down. They apparently had some Windows XP machine that broke, and like they just replaced their price list with a message saying it's gone. They're going to get it back <laughs> soon. Um, so I... I headed to the Internet Archive and used the Wayback Machine, and I found snapshots from uh, June 2017. And then um, the pages had dates from even earlier than that. So their cartridge price list was from February of 2013, and they were selling new in box for $29.95 US, cart only for $20. Disc version, this price was from November 2015, uh, was $19.95 US. Um, Best Electronics had only the cartridge version uh, in box for $29.95 and for uh, cart uh, $15.95, so a little bit cheaper than BNC. Poking around eBay, this is all over the place. Um, factory sealed noon box, $75 US, uh, cart only, uh, $17.95 or best offer, and another one I saw was $59.95. Um, cart and box, $39.99. Uh, and disc version complete, I saw for both $33 and $58.71. So wild price range there. Good luck if you actually want to buy this game and care about it. Um, like, if you see a really high price, maybe keep looking. Maybe you'll find a lower price. That's like what I'm saying. <laughs> I, just, I just had a quick gander on eBay UK, and you can get it for under 20 quid boxed. Oh, really? Yeah, it's quite a few on, there's quite a few on eBay UK. But bizarrely, someone's trying to sell a car only for... 46 pounds yeah, yeah um, who knows but i can i can get one for 17 plus postage here with box so there we go yep 
Okay, so um, so on to our reviews. Michael, what did you think of this game? Well, actually, I had this game on disc, the Accolade version. Uh, back in the day, I purchased it because I wanted a fighting game. Um, and uh, I'll start off by giving the graphics a 7. Um, I like the drop menus. That's pretty new- unique at the time. The, the first game I remember seeing uh, with the, that type of drop menu, you know, other than the desktop, was The Pawn. And I thought it was you know, an adventure game, kind of unique with the, the menus. Um, I don't know how useful drop-down menus would be, but it's a bold choice. Uh, the title screen I find uh, is sort of interesting. It's got the Reagans and a boxing all the people you mentioned. Uh, but it's sort of low resolution, so it was hard to make out what everybody looked like. I mean, it was a little bit blocky. And the boxing characters and animations are good, but they're not, they're not varied. You, know, you have a, a few to pick from. I found the ring to be sort of bland. There's no crowd in the background. I'm guessing that has to do with the color limitations of the Atari. But I think it could have been enhanced with some uh, some horizontal blanks. I do see them used in the uh, title screen, though, so I don't know why they didn't uh, use it for the ring. Uh, sound and music, I give a six. Uh, there isn't much music, and where it is is not very original or complex. And the punch sounds uh, are all the same. They could have raised the uh, octave a little bit or lowered at some points to make them sound different. They didn't do that. Of course, no crowd sounds. I want to hear some cheering. All sports games have the, you know, the, the and this didn't have that. Can I, can I try? Can I try? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> exactly. Sorry. Yeah, from, yeah, from uh, you know, uh, the, the summer games and stuff like that. Yeah. If, if that comes out really bad and, and it's going to bust people's speakers, please cut it. But if not, leave it in. All right. Sorry. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, no, no problem. Uh, gameplay, I give a seven. Uh, this is a mixed heavy bag. Uh, stuff, some stuff connects. I like being able to customize my fighter and save them off to uh, save and load them off of disc. Uh, I wish more cards had this uh, this feature, like for saving high scores. Why have high score if it's not going to save? Um, uh, you can pick uh, computer versus computer. I love this option. I actually did this. I spent some time uh, making adjusting the settings of my own character and then putting them against the stock characters to see how they came out. You know, see if I. Uh, you know, when I'm actually fighting them, uh, what sort of uh, uh, settings I should set my personal uh, character. And that worked all the way up until I got to uh, the Bronx Bomber. I couldn't, no matter what I said it to, I could not get him uh, to survive the fight past the two-minute mark. Did you so, try all uh, 100 million or whatever I said combinations? I did not. <laughs> and you know what? The funny thing about that was I was trying to figure out how I could automate that. So you know, like with, so it could just go through each one, and I I couldn't figure out how to interact directly without you know a clumsy way of doing it with something like uh, something like Auto IT, uh, which talk, is an talk, application. Talk, talk yeah. to Rob, get Omnivore working. On I this know, project. I know. You said that. I'm thinking, hey, this could come in handy. But I'm guessing it has something to maybe with the fake outs and stuff that maybe the characters don't use them like a human player would. Who knows. But, I mean, up to that point, it's pretty good for AI. You just have to adjust it in certain areas, and you've got a pretty solid uh, fighter. So maybe if I just threw myself into the ring, you know, and then use that character, I could actually take him out. I like the fact that it has all the uh, the features of a, a modern-day fighting game. I'm thinking of something like, you know, Soul Calibur, where you got, you know, training and sparring and tournament and the main event. These are all options uh, that you'd see today. So that was kind of the start of it. The stuff that was a miss... Um, you know, the, the accolade manual talks about action timing and none of this was mentioned in the XE manual. It's like, it's a, it's a completely different game. 
<laughs> compared to the, you know, if you look at the manual. So I wanted to see like more uh, complex punching uh, system here. And I'm guessing that maybe if I had read the accolade manual, that would have made, give me that such. But I mean, when I played, I basically just started mashing the buttons and hitting to the face, hitting to the gut. And it got me through, you know? <laughs> so if there was more to it, um, you know, like using the fakes, uh, then you know, it wasn't needed up until the, I got to, uh, the, uh, the, the Bronx bomber. Uh, they could have, you know, thrown in some different punches, I think, you know, use the corners of the joystick for like, you know, cross, a hook, a uppercut, uh, instead of the fakes. I, I just didn't see, you're not going to use that against a human player. You know, if I were playing my daughter, which I did, I could, I would not fake her out in any way. This is just for computer players, I guess. So I would have liked to see a stamina option in the game. You know, something I, like I said, I was just punching and, you know, you, you would, if you had something like stamina, you could uh, use some power management in the game that would have made a little bit more of a, a, a boxing simulator or put a little bit, uh, not have you just, you know, like I said, button mash all the time to win the game. And I found the boxing a bit too slow. I mean, it just felt like it was like plodding. It wasn't, it wasn't an exciting fighting match. It was just kind of punch, punch, block, punch, you know, <laughs> which yeah, is essentially definitely. boxing, but <laughs> <laughs> we've been, we've been spoiled by Tekken and, and yeah, yeah. Street Fighter and stuff. Yeah. I yeah my, my heart was not pounding fast. As far as the presentation, I give a five. Uh, I found the cover. To be boring and lazy, uh, our design. Oh, it's you didn't a clean, like that. Okay. You no, know, I didn't. I said it's a it's a clean image, but I don't find it find it to be that creative. I mean, uh, when you think boxing, I think power and speed and punching through some white paper with no apparent movement. It doesn't really reflect that. I mean, I'm not expecting to see like things flying off the wall, but maybe use a cement wall or something. I don't know. Uh, it, but they did use the same cover art as uh, Accolade originally released, so I can't. I can only blame Accolade for creating it and Atari for keeping it. <laughs> as far as the manual, um, although the Accolade manual wasn't great, it was uh, the Atari version was definitely uh, an undercard. Uh, most of the details mentioned in, in this review were taken, I'm assuming, from the Accolade manual. <laughs> so um, that tells you how much uh, how much more uh, chock full of information that one was. Uh, but I've seen worse manuals, so I guess I can't say, uh, they, you know, they did an adequate job. So overall, I give it a six. Uh, there wasn't, there's not too many boxing games to the Atari line, and um, no others on cartridge. And out of the uh, those few, uh, this appears to be the best. But as far as a fighting game, I'd rather play something like maybe International Karate. Uh, would it be something I'd add in my collection? Sure, uh, since it's the only real boxing contender. Uh, would I play it much? I don't think so. I, as I mentioned, I play with my daughter, and she said she'd probably rather play Ball Blazer as a two-player game than this. So, I, and I'd have to agree with her. So, I think if you're looking for an 8-bit boxing game, not to suggest another system, but the Nintendo's Punch Out, I think, is is where uh, it all really started. Or if you want to uh, play a richer fighting game with the same name, Fight Night, EA put out several games for more recent systems. So anyway, that's my review. What about you, Bill? So I hadn't played this uh, before preparing for the episode. Um, at first, I was totally un unimpressed. Um, but then <laughs> after going through the docs a bit, um, I was only left kind of somewhat unimpressed. <laughs> um, I played a bunch of uh, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out on my friend's Nintendo, and my recollection was that it was pretty fun, but it's, you know, I hadn't played it, like, 
30 years now, um, we probably got bored with it pretty quickly because I remember we moved on to games like Life Force and Super Mario 2 and 3 and DuckTales and Ninja Gaiden Castlevania Mega Man series and all those, which we just played for countless hours and I borrowed them all the time and stuff. I don't think I ever once borrowed Punch-Out. I just probably played it because it was at his house, you know? Um, so ratings, graphics, I gave it a 7 out of 10. Um, it's cute if uh, sometimes stereotypical and kind of offensive artwork. Um the one thing I'll, I'll mention is it had way too much flicker. The characters kind of like blanked out and then reappeared as as the animations played. Um, and I noticed that even the timer itself flickers. Like oh, wow. it doesn't just the numbers don't just change. It kind of blanks out a couple times a second for no obvious reason. Like, did you play this on the real system or did you play this on the emulator? I played on both. I played on okay. um, 800XL and then under uh, Atari 800 emulator. Um, and I'll have to say that uh, uh, the the turbo mode <laughs> helped quite a bit for when I was <laughs> when I was letting the character train and spar and stuff. Just uh, letting it do its own thing. It, it looked it, a lot. There's where the action is if you play it real fast. Um, <laughs> so I thought it could have done um, easily with more colors. Um, it doesn't look that much better than the original Apple II version, um, as one would have expected from a, a much better machine like the Atari graphics wise. Yeah. Um, Sound of Music, I gave it a five. Uh, it's nothing special, but it also wasn't super obnoxious. We've we definitely played some games where just like there's blaring alarm sounds or whatever, and it's just you want to turn the volume completely off when you're playing it. This one, not so much. Um, gameplay, it was it was a little bit fun once you got into the rib- rhythm of it uh, and understood the the timing. Again, not mentioned at all in the XEGS manual, so. Yeah. Um, but it was a bit too slow for my taste. Um, I was impressed for what it could do for basically a 64 kilobyte game, uh, considering the variety of artwork and stuff that they had in it. Um, but it just didn't really have the fun factor for me, but I'll give you some caveats here. I'm not a boxing fan in any way whatsoever, real life or video games. Um, I'm also not that much of a fan of fighting video games in general. Um, I do love the early Tekken series, but that's about it. Mm. Um, and I was in a, never got around to asking my kids if they wanted to play this. They, they kind of watched me checking it out, and nobody asked. And uh, and now they're gone for the weekend. So <laughs> I I never I never played this two player. So I'm basing this on a, a one player mode. You said this was a 64 bit game or a 64 kilobit game? Kilobyte? Um, uh, yeah, Kilobyte, I'm sorry. I'm, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm guessing I'm guessing it needed an XL or higher. Um, See, I actually play. I was playing it on my 800. Oh, you played it on your 800? Yeah, okay, so yeah. maybe maybe it's 48k. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I, I don't I want just, to exclude a bunch of Atari, you know, stock Atari 800 people out there. <laughs> okay. I will change my notes here. 48K game. All right. Okay, cool. Presentations. Uh, I, I like the implementation of the menuing system. Um, the title screen was amusing, if, if pixely. It definitely gave you the uh, the idea that this is not a game to take too seriously. Um, I, I liked it that there were large versions of the characters' faces at the top, rather than just kind of reusing the, the sprite-sized uh, kind of lower detail versions. Um, so overall, I give it a six out of 10. Um, if you really like fighting games and especially are into boxing and, and you love playing with statistics in particular, um, you'll probably enjoy this. Uh, me, I'm probably never going to play this again though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Kieran, what about you? Yes. So graphics. Um, I love the visuals in Fight Night actually. I really like the wacky character designs, um, the hilarious animations, and it really reminded me of an old show we had here in uh, the UK called Spitting Image. And if you're not familiar with that show, look it up. Basically, yes, I saw that was, as a kid. Uh, yeah. It was political 
show with puppets and it was very 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 funny indeed and the, the characters in fight night really look like the kind of caricature puppets that they use in spitting image and especially the you know the title screen that we were talking about that's the the images of ronnie and maggie mm-hmm. look like they're spitting image puppets so i'm thinking that the people who made the game were f- quite familiar with spitting image because they, they look very similar genesis had the uh, uh land of confusion video that had the spitting image Ah, I didn't know so that. That's how we got exposed to it over here. I see. Yeah, I mean, they did. They do obviously always have Ronnie. He was in pretty much every single one. So, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good to know. So, sound of music. Uh, sound effects are reasonable. The short pieces of music are okay, but I, I didn't really think it was enough. And uh, I was quite disappointed actually with the audio in general. So, I, I've given it a five. A 5 out of 10 for audio. Did I say the rating for graphics? No, I didn't. It was an 8 out of 10. Um, but yes, the, the sound, uh, 5 out of 10. So gameplay. Uh, plenty of game options. Great range of different punches. All important to player mode 2. I particularly liked the creative box for function. I thought that was uh, really good. And as uh, you kind of already said, it was way ahead of its time in that regard, I think. So I've given it 8 out of 10 for gameplay. So presentation, um, great title screen, nice drop-down menus, good cut screens. I think the in-game presentation is very good all around, in fact. The box art is okay, but I wish they'd use the artwork from the UK tape and disc versions by UK Gold, which is much, much better. So if you haven't seen that artwork, go and look at it, because it's, it's like kind of comic book styled, and I think it works really, really well. And I wish Atari had used the, um, the UK artwork, actually, on the, on the Zegs release. It would have made it a lot more interesting, I think. So overall, a uh, very fun and enjoyable game that only lacks in a few fairly minor areas, I think. And it's also a lot better than the absolutely horrendous 7800 version too, um, which suffers from some of the worst collision detection I've experienced in a game. So um, there's that as well. So all in all, um, I think I will give it a, a, a good 7 out of 10. We got some uh, external reviews. Uh, Atari Mania has it at 7.5 out of 10 with 30 votes. Atari User Magazine, July 1988, said, uh, Fight Night is an amusing, entertaining sports simulation that gives that will give hours of fun. <laughs> Antip Magazine said, Fight Night's primary function is to involve you and make you laugh, not to precisely mimic the actions in a boxing ring. It debrutalizes the sport, which is a point in its favor. The A to Z of Atari 8-Bit Games, Volume 3, in one of his latest books, our very own Kieran unsurprisingly awards the game the same score he did here. 7 out of 10. <laughs> wow, no way. So if I Amazing. read the book, I would have known you and we, we just read out of the book. <laughs> yeah. It's funny timing, actually, because I reviewed both the games we're covering today in, the, in that book, which you'll find out. It just happened to happen. I just I didn't even realize till I was actually writing the show notes today funny enough it was pure coincidence <laughs> that's hilarious <laughs> all there right on to our second game Kieran yes so today's bu- budget review is revenge 2 it was uh, published by mastertronic on their mad label which stood for mastertronic added dimension uh, the main difference with mad was to the normal mastertronic was uh was that Mastertronic games were one ninety nine, Mad Games were two ninety nine on the uh, on, on our UK pricing. So there you go. Oh. The it was released in the year of nineteen eighty seven, and uh, the genre is a shoot 'em up, horizontally scrolling, 
And um, the developer was Stephen A. Riding for Icon Design. And this description is taken from Moby Games. I thought it was uh, the, the best one I found online. So Jeff Minter's third camel-themed game after Attack and Revenge is another horizontally scrolling shoot-em-up taking place over 100 levels. The story says that 6,000 years ago, mankind fought the forces of Zaziaks using mutated forms of common animals. Now the Zaziaxians are back, and the 90-foot camels must defend a planet no longer accustomed to warfare. The Zaziaxian hordes consist of the usual Minter-style zaniness. Post boxes and letters, Pac-Man ghosts and microchips are all out to get you. The game allows you to fire in any direction by moving the joystick while holding down the fire button. Additionally, you can also drop miniature versions of yourself as bombs. After completing a level or losing a life, the players can move to a level adjacent to the current one within a 10 times 10 grid. You can also purchase improved shields, energy recharges, or improve your weaponry, such as bigger or smarter bullets. Although Jeff Minter is listed as the designer of this game on the uh, the inlay, the cassette inlay, he apparently had very little to do with it. He told me that himself. So and was not very happy about how it turned out. <laughs> and it's not a game he ever mentions on his CV. So basically, he had sold the rights to it to Mastertronic, and uh, it was uh, a bit of a cash-in, really. So the legacy, obviously, we know that Jeff Minter has never forgotten about camels and llamas and the like, and this can be seen in his latest game, Tempest 4000. Have you guys played that yet? I have not. I have not either. You should do. It's amazingly good. Um, so I'll... you're, you're going to buy me a PS4? No. <laughs> you can get on the PC. Don't they have you it can? on? Yeah. Do they have it on Linux? I, on that PC. I don't know. See, yeah. sorry, well, they okay. will when the Atari uh, VCS comes out. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it's on, it's, it is on Steam. I know that. So, um, so yeah, but I don't know, obviously, that, what, what that actually means. That, you know, whether it being on Steam, um, whether that works on Linux, I have no idea. For those who haven't experienced Tempest 4000 yet, I did actually do a review of it myself on my YouTube channel, so there is a link to the uh, to, to my own review of the Xbox One version of Tempest 2000. 4000, not 2000, 4000. But basically, if you play Tempest 2000, he kept it very, very authentic. You even got the, the same music as a Jaguar game. He reused the same soundtrack. Yeah, that's that's excellent. Yeah, unfortunately, it's uh, yeah. Windows Windows only. It says on Steam. So yeah. Oh, alas, go. yeah. And my my laptop's like ten years old, so it's probably underpowered anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I'll stick to the I'll stick to the Jaguar version for now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That does the job. It's it's not that much different. <laughs> Where to buy? It's pretty cheap and easy to pick up. At the time of recording, there were a few copies on eBay for about three pounds each. So yeah, really easy to to, to get hold of. Um. It also came out for the Commodore 64, the Amiga, and the Atari ST. I have, I've actually got the Atari ST version on disc still that I bought when I was uh, a wee nipper because I had the uh, the shareware version of the, the the original game, and then I remember seeing that the, se- the sequel in, the, in my local game shop and buying it because I liked the original one so much. So you can download the game from Atari Mania. So if you want to uh, to grab it yourself, you can get it from there. So, Michael, over to you for your review of the game. So, um, I'm going to assume uh, some hallucinogens were taken during the development of this game, because it's it's just weird. I mean, the backgrounds are weird, the characters are weird, weird. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I, so for graphics, I give it an 8 out of 10. So the intro screen is interesting and it, with a touch of color uh, through the use of uh, horizontal blanks. And it also has some movement. It's not just a bland, static uh, intro screen. The background is interesting and varied and has it's using parallax scrolling and lots of different looking enemies, nice looking font, albeit sometimes hard to read. Uh, the camel's a bit blocky, but it's probably due to the player missile graphic mode that they use for it. Um, and the camel's color is the same as the background sometimes, so it kind of blends in. Uh, I, I lose them from time to time, depending on the background. Um, and I also notice the enemies sometimes pop out of existence. I don't know where they're going, but they just come in and then they go away. So, uh, sound and music, I give it a seven. Uh, there's about four sounds and no music, but uh, they're uh, competently created. So I said I think they sounded uh, pretty good. As far as gameplay goes, I give it a seven out of ten. Uh, the goal in each level is the same: walk for so long without dying. Um, but the way the enemies move does change, and uh, which provides you with some a level of, of variety. Uh, added uh, options to change weapons, shielding, and obtain extra players is nice. But the instructions didn't quite make clear how that was possible. Still, I sort of figured it out. Uh, you can make uh, your cam camel hover by pushing up. After seeing the other versions uh, on other systems, uh, doing the same makes your camel actually jump. I think the jump option is better. I find the hover, hover position puts you at risk of getting hit a lot easier if you just, you know, like I said, hopped in the air. Uh, since some of the enemies are coming in as slightly below you, it makes you it makes them harder to hit uh, if you just basically stayed on the ground. As far as the presentation, I give it a six out of 10. Manual cover is kind of cool with a semi-chrome camel and Egyptian images. Uh, add a touch of minter weird, like a cup and saucer, floppy, floppy disk and tin can, and you have something unique. The back is uh, pretty much just screenshots and some oddly crammed scribbles. I didn't get that, so not as impressive. Uh, inside the manual is mostly text. Uh, it does provide you some backstory and explains how to play the game. Overall, I'll give it a 7. Uh, I can't say if I want to sit down and play a game, I would pick this game first. But when I played it, I did find myself playing it for several rounds, so it was enjoyable. Uh, since this is a successor to Attack of the Mutant Camels, which is just a ripoff of the 2600 Empire Strikes Back, I gotta give this one credit for being original compared to its predecessor. So that's about it for me. What about you, Bill? So ratings, uh, graphics, I give it a five out of ten. It's it's fairly colorful and it had some uh, simple parallax scrolling uh, with some fanciful backdrops. Um, the baddies though seem to be mostly basically one color and, and a bit blocky. Um, and it was also hard for me to tell what on earth or, or I guess what on Zizax, <laughs> uh any of them were. I think one of I think the first level is it supposed to be like a, a beefy arm or what? I didn't know what it was. <laughs> Some things. I mean, there were like Drugs. bras and there were like bras or bikinis or something flying at me in one level. I don't. Yeah, it was unusual. <laughs> It's it's a little Mega Mania if you guys have played that on the oh, 2600 yeah, of the AP, yeah, where you're shooting like hamburgers and tires and ice creams and stuff. Yeah, it was a little bit kind of that kind of whimsy, which didn't make any sense. But but the graphics weren't as good as in, <laughs> as in Mega Mania where they had like multiple colors and stuff. Oh well. So sound of music, uh, I give it a four. The sounds are pretty passable. Um, a little irritating after a while because it's it's a kind of game where you want to hold the fire button down, so you just boop 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 the whole time. Um. 
Gameplay, I gave it a 2 out of 10. I found it very difficult to move. Um, it was kind of hard to get used to. I guess there was like an acceleration way of, of moving left and right. You didn't just move left and right with a joystick. You kind of sped up left and right. Um, so I found myself flying in different places where I didn't expect to. Um, also, I, I seemed to fly into the air a lot when I didn't expect to. I guess I had let go of the fire button and hit up or something. I was using a um, Genesis controller on my 1200XL. Um, so... This gets me. The, the baddies spawn on screen. So you're fl- you're running around in the background scrolling, and then all of a sudden the bad guy just kind of appears um, right above you, left of you, right of you, wherever. Um, I'm used to basically every kind of game like this, every kind of horizontal shooter, um, like Life Force slash Gradius or, or Zybex on the Atari, as well as vertical shooters like Xevious in 1942 series, and even multidirectional shooters like Time Pilot and Bosconian and Sinistar, where the baddies are off screen until you scroll to them. They don't just like pop into existence. Yeah. I, I guess there are the really annoying little bubble things in, in Xevious. Uh, I, and I hate those. I hate things that just pop up out of nowhere and kill you because they happen to land right on you. Um, so I didn't like that. I, I figured it would have been better if they came off of the, the right side of the screen. It, it seemed otherwise absolutely useless for the game to be a scrolling game other than just as a visual. So, um, and then I'm not sure if it was because I was using my NTSC Atari. I didn't I didn't try this under PAL under an emulator. Um, but my bullets often shot straight through the baddies. Like on the first level, I was I was shooting up and I was killing most of the little aliens, and they all looked the same. But then sometimes there was one where the bullet would just go straight through them, and I didn't understand why. But then I found that if I flew up into the air and then I shot them horizontally, you know, to the right or to the left behind me, I, I would get them. So I didn't understand what. What was I missing game-wise that, that sometimes I could kill them and sometimes I couldn't? So I wasn't sure if it was a glitch because of compatibility issues or if this is just how the game is. Um, well, that's the question I had for you. Remember I reached out and I said, hey, are you guys seeing the same thing, like shooting the bullets shooting through the characters? And you say, did you send it to PAL? And I went, oh, yeah, I forgot. <laughs> it's a, it's a oh, European oh, game. Shoot. Oh, so di- oh, so did you actually set it to PAL and that helped? I did, and it worked fine, yeah. Oh, okay, well yeah. then shoot. Oh, yeah, because yeah. otherwise, I mean, usually if it's a PAL game and it doesn't work, it doesn't work bad. It's like <laughs> the title screen just goes, and it looks like the computer's broken. So, <laughs> darn. Okay, yeah. so, um, so take... Take that with a grain of salt, then. Um, use a PAL system oh, to play this game. What that's, a noob. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you know. Well, it's funny that you gave me, you told me to do that. And, and then I, you and forgot I, about it. I totally forgot, yeah, because it was like a week ago. Sorry. Yeah, okay. Um, live and learn. Presentation. Uh, I gave it a 4 out of 10. The level selection and weapon screen could definitely be confusing if you didn't read the instructions. Because um, when you first arrive there, there's nothing you can do but press fire to start even though it gives you a whole bunch of options on the right and this giant throbbing animated thing being the grid of levels, I guess. Um, And then once you beat a level or die, you're back there, and now you can select an adjacent level, as as described previously. Or if you select the level that you were just on, that's how you get to the menu on the right to do the purchasing of upgrades, and that's not really obvious. Like I would have assumed, like you just go right, 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 right over to there, or or something. So it was, or hit the space bar, some 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 way to get over there. So I, I definitely had to to reread the manual to remind myself. Oh, that's right. You have to select the thing, the level you just beat, to do the upgrades. Like it would have made more sense to have a separate screen of mm-hmm. upgrades and then move on to level select or yeah. something. But you know, fits on a tape. It's a budget game. Can't complain too much in that sense. Um, yeah. You know, read the man. Always read the manual. Always read the manual. 
on on your Atari Twenty Six Hundred, don't always play game one. Remember the difficulty switches. There's usually so many variations of these things. You got to read the manual. So overall, uh, I guess my my numbers total up to an average of three point seven five. Um, I'll say in a word, I'm I'm looking forward to our our, our review of Zybex. <laughs> so, Kieran, how about you? Oh, Bill's always so harsh on the project games. I've got to find some you actually like. I think I, mean, I think Z- Zybex, Draconis. Uh, I'll, I'll be I'll be anything by Zeppelin then, basically. But, yeah, is. probably probably mm. those those are. I was surprised those were budget games, frankly. Yeah, they, they all are. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. I, right. think, I think you'll like you next month, but we'll talk about that afterwards. Okay. Um, so, uh, yeah, so graphics, mostly very good, I thought. Nice parallel scrolling, very backgrounds, uh, loads of sprites on screen. My only grumble is that some of the more brown uh, Commodore 64-ish levels, you can struggle to make out the uh, the, the main sprite at times. So, uh, I get, But I gave it an 8 out of 10. I liked the effects. Uh, you don't get... Um, many technical effects in budget games usually so it's nice to see i have an idea you know what they could have done and this would have been right up the jeff minter style is just have have the camel throbbing different rainbow colors or at least different shades of brown the whole time oh Mm. it would you would be guaranteed to see it most of the time it'd be very obvious and it'd look really freaky which is exactly what these games need right (laughs) good idea somebody hacked this game at at that feature (laughs) good point yeah yeah Sound and music. Um, I was disappointed to find there was no music in this version because uh, Jazz Seabrook, who did quite a bit of pokey music for other Mastertronic games, uh, Feud springs to mind, for example. I think he did Sidewinder as well. But uh, yeah, he did a... Oh, and Action Biker, I think he did as well. But anyway, he did a great tune for the other versions. Um, and uh, it's not in this version. So I don't know why this is the only version of it that doesn't have the music. Very strange. Uh, maybe it was a memory constraint. Maybe they ran out of memory. I don't know. Um, but uh, the in-game sound effects are pretty good. So 7 out of 10. Gameplay. I think this is where the game falls down a bit because it's, while it's very frantic and exciting at first, it does soon get quite tiresome. And there's little or no variation in the gameplay from level to level. The original Revenge of the Mutant Camels managed to keep things a lot more interesting in this regard. And uh, this is a pretty generic sequel that I think is very much missing the magic touch of Minter, perhaps. I think that's what it is. There's a little something that Minter seems to add to games, and this doesn't have it. You can tell that Minter didn't program it. Um, presentation. I really like the box art on the game, and if I'd seen it on a shelf back in the day, I think I definitely would have bought it on the box art alone. Um, there's some nice effects on the title screen too, but again, there really should have been uh, music on the title screen. Uh, overall, um, a rather disappointing sequel to an excellent game that definitely feels like a, a cash-in on Mastertronic's behalf, sadly. So I went with a 6 out of 10 overall. I think uh, having played the first game, you, even though this was, was very cheap, you can't help but feel a little bit a little bit disappointed um, when compared to the original. So, so there we go. All right. Um, so like Fight Night before it, uh, Karen also reviewed this, as we mentioned, in the uh, A to Z of Atari Epic Games Volume 3 and gave it the same rating. Surprise! <laughs> Six out of ten. <laughs> uh, we found three reviews for the Atari ST version, which are all from the UK. Uh, the Games Machine gave it 63%. Computer and Video Games awarded it five out of ten. 
that's not a very good award. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and uh, SD Action game gave it a very disappointing 40%. Um, we also found three reviews for the Commodore 64 version, which seems to have been a lot better, um, but it received despite not being much better than the Atari version. Uh, Home Computing Weekly scored it at f- uh, five stars. I'm guessing that's out of five. Uh, Ace went for 750 out of 1,000 in their bizarre rating system. I guess you <laughs> could call that four out of five or 75% or something in more something sane. Something like that, yeah. Something yeah. like that, yeah. Unless it's like a logarithmic. No, anyway. Um, <laughs> and the legendary Zap64 got quite excited by it uh, with 90%. Um, and we found one solitary review of the Amiga version uh, in the Games Machine. They rated it even lower than the ST version at 49%. So uh, not a well-loved game, unfortunately. Yeah, apart, apart from Zap64 loved it, yeah. yeah. Now, did they, the Zap64, is that, that's Commodore, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. Was a, it was like the the Commodore 64 magazine over here. It was one that everyone loved and bought, and people still talk about it. And they brought it back. They're bringing it mm-hmm. back this Christmas to do a Zap 64 annual. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So the 64 version is definitely different than this version. So maybe that's why it got such a high. I think it's quite similar. Oh, is it? Um, yeah, I went back and played it today um, to, to see how different they were, and I didn't think they were that that different oh, okay. in fact the, the Atari bit had some nicer graphical effects on it because of the extra colors and stuff so um yeah i was um i'm not sure why they got so excited about the 64 version i think it was just the i think it was just the minter thing i think they just got yeah. hooked up, caught up on that and went wow yeah. it's got to be amazing yeah this mm-hmm. is not power yeah <laughs> despite yeah his, his... <laughs> take <laughs> Yeah, I think I think that's the only thing I can put it down to, really, to be honest. So I don't know. All right. Well, that's it for our reviews. Um, Michael, we got some user feedback. Yay! Let's do let's do the uh, the Ferg feedback. Yeah. I... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I have no point of reference to that. <laughs> it's the Beatles. I'm I'm pretty sure it's Fer- Ferg does that feedback thing from the Beatles. Anyway. Oh, yeah, I got it. Yeah. What What do we got? What do we got? Well, we got um, we got a Dell Dreamy. Uh, well, two emails I should say. The first one from Dell Dreamy. I listen to every show, and the whole family loves Tux Paint. Keep Yay. up the great work. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you got a little shout out for your own product. Uh, by the way, Bill K talks faster than everyone else, and the difference is at one point three three x speed makes him extra noticeable. <laughs> I am not complaining, just observing. Yes, uh, I am from California, and I'm usually uh, caffeinated before yeah. I start the call. So you got places to me. be. <laughs> yeah, you got yard work to take care of. Let's get this uh-huh, thing done. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> John Schaller from the Everything Amiga podcast. Dear Bill, David, Kieran, and Michael. Hey, my name is John Schaller, and I am one half of Everything Amiga podcast. First of all, I love your show. The Atari 1200XL was my first computer, and too many hours of my youth were spent playing Atari 8-bit games. I'm very glad that there's a, a, a gamer-centered A8 podcast without a lot of application hardware talk, as the games are where it's at for me. I also wanted to ask if uh, you all would be interested in joining the Amigos Retro Gaming channel on YouTube. You would be our third show on the network. We currently have over a 1,000 subscribers, and having a YouTube presence would bring your show some new listeners. You might uh, not think that people would listen to an audio-only show on YouTube, but trust me, they do. Eventually, 
We'd like to grow the network to include a wide array of retro game podcasts. If you're interested in joining us or if you have some questions, let me know. So that's something I guess we could discuss at some point. Uh, you know, I thought that, uh, I know, doesn't David's 5200 podcast do that? Funnily enough, um, I was talking to a friend of mine earlier today who does an Amiga podcast, which is spooky as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he does Amiga Rama podcast. And he puts all of his on his YouTube channel. Oh. And he was saying to me, why don't you put yours on your YouTube channel? Because obviously I've got a, a channel myself and I've got over 4,000 subscribers. So it's it's not massively popular, but, you know, I've, I've got a decent following. Yeah. And he said to me, why don't you? And I said, I don't know, really. So maybe <laughs> I should go back and um, maybe put them on YouTube for people as well. It's an idea. Yeah. Maybe I should I, do I, that. I, I admit that I listen to a lot of music streams while I'm working uh, on mm. YouTube because I haven't found any good streams on mm. just like music streams out there. And, and YouTube seems to be where everyone is there. And, you know, the YouTube recommends things like if you like to listen to this two hour long segment, then you might li- listen to this other two hour long mix of drum and bass or whatever. So, yeah, so I kind of hop around from there. Yeah. So it's um, not a bad idea. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. Listeners, what do you think? If you'd like our shows to on YouTube as well, then let us know because we yeah. can make that happen pretty quickly because I've already got the channel. I can I can bung I've, I can bung them all up pretty quick on on my YouTube channel. It makes sense. It give theme with the content as well. So yeah, yeah. you can throw mm. some screenshots in instead of you know telling people about them. Yeah. you can actually see them. Yeah, that's what I would. That's what I do. I'd, I'd put something to go along with them, some kind of video as well, just in case people want to watch as well. But it's unusual. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's about it for this episode so um it's a goodbye from me goodbye from michael and talk to you guys later uh, have a good one so our next episode is going to be an extra special themed edition of the zeg's cart by cart podcast in this one we'll head into the fantastical world of isometric arcade adventures as we try not to burst your bubble with our review of cartridge game airball and then tape up the team for head over heels in our budget review So come and join us then. You can find our latest episodes, news, and information on our website, www.xegs8bit.com. We also have links on there, so you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We'd like to thank ComputeHer for giving us permission to use her song software as our show's theme song. You can visit ComputeHer at computeher.com. That's computeher.com for more information. Also thanks to the folks who contribute to and maintain the Atari Media Database, Wikipedia, and other fine results of Google searching. We are part of the Throwback Network, a group of podcasters with one thing in common. We all love old things. Whether it's old video games, old movies, old toys, or simply old stories, the Throwback Network is the place to find them all. Visit throwbacknetwork.net to learn more. We are also part of the Retro Junkies Network, a network of like-minded retro enthusiasts who like to keep things clean and family-friendly. Our content ranges from retro gaming, retro movies, retro TV shows, retro music, and basically anything retro that is worth remembering. Find us at theretrojunkies.com. So, um, that's about it. (laughs) (laughs) So, that's about it. Oh, God's sake. (laughs)